Welcome to Tracksuits and Pajamas. Or pajamas. We are two best friends from different walks of life. And sleep numbers. Together we'll delve into everything massive and mundane. Join us as we address politics, love, race, parenthood, pancakes, and more. Because when you're comfortable and among kindreds, no topic is off limits. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tracksuits and Pajamas, the Closet Edition. We are live from our closets, and surprise, surprise, I'm in my pajamas. Yep, yep, Noel's in PJs, and I am in a tracksuit, and we are about as comfortable as you can imagine, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. This is our first, I guess, I don't know if live is the right word or what you would call it, but this is our first recording uh, since COVID-19. Which is why we're in our pajamas and tracksuits and in our closets and not in the recording studio. Yes. So we are definitely practicing social distancing from each other and even our families, which at any point in time could walk into the closet and find us. That feels like a metaphor for everything right now. At any given point in time, I'm my children are seeking me. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to be asking for a snack in a couple minutes. It, it will happen. It might be me. How are things? How are things? <laughs> how are things? That's such a load. Of, remember when you used to ask people, how are things? And they would say, oh, you know, it's all good. We're it's doing fine. fine. We're moving it's on. Fine. You ask somebody, how are things right now? You might get dumped on. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. This has definitely thrown everyone for a loop. Uh, I think our last episode we talked about the importance of leaning into complexity versus falling into simplicity. Isn't it adorable that we thought we knew what was going on a few weeks ago about things like that? We were pretty cute. I feel like everybody has been like, was like lined up standing over a pool of complexity. And then all of a sudden, remember that scene from, uh, from 300 where Leonidas like like puts his foot in the dude's chest and like kicks him down the hole. <laughs> like I feel like all of us, all, like that's been done to all of us, and we just been like kicked into complexity. Like get your butt in there right now. Yeah, it's, yeah. And, and swim in it. And it's not really a pool in so far as it's an abyss that you don't exactly know where the bottom is. Like the first couple weeks, I thought that it was a pool. And I, I, I actually the other day went back and took a look at all my pictures and some of my social posts from the very beginning of the quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I really am struck by, again, how adorable I kind of was thinking, oh, that this is fun. And look at this. Look how look, 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 look what a great job I'm doing homeschooling my kids. And this is quirky and hysterical. And it's not quite so fun anymore. And so, you know, when it comes to what we started this podcast for, it's been a shift for us, I think, of what does it now look like during COVID-19 versus what did it look like before? And one of the things I think we've been really honest about is that it's it's an evolution. The middle can shift in what that means and how to live in the middle shifts in what that means. And for me today, it's 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 sitting in the unknowing of what tomorrow is even going to bring. Every single day has been an addition and a shift and more and more complexity has been put on all of our plates. When you talk about empathy and you talk about the middle, like these past few weeks, 
you know, going on month uh, has been like stressing that whole empathy middle system, right? Like it's it's been putting it to work uh, because there's so much information, but at the same time, there's so little information, right? And, and sort of the, the two different sides of that just really throws things off. Like we, you know, there's so there's so much information about, you know, the numbers and what's coming in and testing, right? But then there's so little information about um, what's happening or what's taking place in terms of like, you know, a cure or vaccines, right? There's there's just a lot of blind spots there. One of the things that's been really amazing to me through all of this is how this has allowed some people, not all, to see that we may all be in the same storm, but we're in completely different boats as we go through this storm, right? And, and you know, some folks are riding around in a yacht going through this. Other people are like in a paddle boat, right? Like some some, some little people have graph. a some people have a log like in Titanic, like they're holding on to a stick. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very it's been very interesting to sort of watch how people react and respond, you know, this sort of you know, privilege that's seen that but also unseen tons of people protesting and lots of people talking about reopening and what does that look like? What does it feel like? And how is it different for businesses and schools and absolutely. And it's, it's been interesting to sort of observe and to see people's reactions. And when you talk about the middle, that's a great example to look at when you talk about reopening, because there are, tons of variation when you talk about what reopening actually means um you know obviously people have jobs people have lost their jobs people want to get back to work so they can make money and care for their families uh and then you obviously have uh the need and desire and the must to stay safe and to make sure you're not going back too soon so we don't get hot spots. And, you know, that puts everybody at jeopardy. It stresses our already stressed uh, healthcare workers and first responders, right? So both of those things are correct, right? It, but I think folks are understandably so having a real difficult time at navigating that. So even though we're all in the same storm riding around with our different boats in this situation um, that particular example of reopening is definitely a spot in the middle that has people back and forth at least it seems that way that is a great example of something that is almost impossible or I haven't seen to date of many people holding the middle space there of I've seen a lot of folks on one camp thinking we've got to reopen businesses now. We've got to get back to work, to your point about the protesting, that there's a fear that, and a, and a valid fear, that as our economy suffers, so do people. And for me, one of the things that's been really illuminated as a middle point for me is this, and it sounds so, it sounds like a duh moment, and it probably is, but that 
that the economy and people are so intertwined. There, there is not one without the other. So many people out there, I think, are talking about the safety of staying home and the safety of not getting sick without talking about the economy. And then there's this huge faction that is talking about the importance of the economy without talking about the safety. And you've even seen politicians try to work around leveraging the fact that loss of life would be okay as long as the economy comes back. And then you hear other people say, well, it's fine if the economy goes to shit as long as people are okay. And the reality of the middle of this, and that it's super, it is super complex and it's super difficult, and I don't have an answer for it, but that the, there is a middle there. One does not exist without the other. The economy is comprised of people working to make it work. And we also have the you know a real threat of with people losing their jobs. Hunger is an issue. Famine is an issue. Um, mental health is an issue. All of these things are so intertwined, but I, for one, would love to see more discussion around how can both of those things be true and find a path forward out of this mess with both vantage points at our side instead of the solution isn't just, in my opinion, open everything because we know the potential pitfalls that could come from that. And the other solution also is not stay at home forever and everything else falls apart. There is something I believe that's going to come out of here as a rebirth and something that is unlike unlike anything that we've ever seen. And I think the fear gets triggered with that because we we know what yesterday looked like. We don't know what tomorrow is. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to even, even in my circle of friends, oh, I can't wait till I go out, get to go out to dinner again. You know, this idea of what it looks like to go backwards I think we'll see as the weeks progress and maybe even the months progress that it's not about what does it look like to go back to what our life looked like before because there's going to be grief around that, but that doesn't exist. It's what does a path forward crystallize and looking like and how do both sides and all the needs get woven into that to create a new future for us. Yeah, that's good. So one of the things that I've been paying attention to is leadership and you know, we have an election coming up later on in the year and it's a big one uh, to say the least. Um, And I always look for leaders that are good in the middle and you know, good in a crisis and good in a crisis. And I've really seen, you know, some good examples of that. I, I, you know, I think no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, you know, a lot of people um, have seen, and probably because it's New York, uh, Governor Cuomo, right? and you know, you may like him, you may not like him, you may be an R, you may be a D, you may be an I, um, but this was probably this was sort of early on. Um, you know, obviously New York and uh, has been hit extremely hard. But I remember seeing him. He's one of the first I saw to sort of do this press conference. And I was I was just really impressed with how he sort of walked everyone through. Like, I, you know, we live in Texas. But after watching him for a little bit, I felt like I had a really good sense of what was taking place in New York. And I had a good sense that he had his arms around the situation and he was explaining to people not around the situation in terms of, Oh, I'm going to make it go away or 
I can, you know, save everyone one's life. No, nothing like that. But just uh, I appreciated the empathy that he showed that he shared by realizing uh, what people might be feeling, what they needed to hear. And then I'm going to package it in a way that they can understand it. Um, it may not solve all anxiety. It's not going to fix everything. But I'm going to make I'm going to be as transparent as I possibly can. Um, and I think throughout something like this, uh, that's what you would hope for from your leadership. And, you know, there were other examples across the country. There were other examples that were not so great as well. Um, but I think it's in I think at times like this um, is when you start to see what true leadership is and what leading in the middle and leading with empathy is like. Everybody wants to be a leader until you actually have to do it. Right. Everybody wants to be the boss until you actually have to be the boss and make those decisions. It's real easy to be a leader um, when everything is going well, right? When, you know, your revenues are up, money's coming in, all that. But you can learn a lot about what type of leaders are in place and what type of skills they're equipped with when you go through a crisis. And pretty much every leader, um, state, local, um, federal, uh, business, small, large, in between, you name it, nonprofit, they're all going through it. And so we're starting to see, um, you know, what's out there and what people have. Well, and I think that's right. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about that point is that we are all, we've all been forced to become leaders in this. And there really is no such thing as a person who's not leading something throughout this crisis. I had this, I mean, in my own home, you know, I'm leading the charge. I'm a working mom. The kids are now home. There's distance learning. There's being together 24-7. There's the fear and challenge of how do you raise children with healthy hearts and healthy minds? How do you stimulate them? How do you make sure they don't get too far behind in their educational progress? How do you keep businesses going for the work that's still coming in? How do you connect with a marriage if if you're in a partnership or a relationship? Every single facet, we're forced to lead in new ways. And I think you're right. With politicians, you're seeing it on television every single day. You know, I had this moment yesterday where I realized, oh, today I was the asshole, right? And as a leader in my home, it goes worse when I'm the jerk. And it goes worse when I'm triggered by fear. And it goes worse when I can't be in the middle. When I go polarized, I have this real-time experiment happening in a home of four people and far too many animals where if I get off center and I am because I'm triggered just like everybody else is right now when I get off centered the whole ship falls apart Mm -hmm. and that's what it looks like at the state level and at the company level and at the country level and I think what's so challenging about this is that at any given time pre-COVID-19 when we were chatting about starting this podcast, we talked about what it meant to come to the middle on an individual basis. And I think our initial hope was that the more we worked through this, the more people would be able to practice coming to the middle and in their daily lives, see that to fruition more and more and more. Everyone's on their path, their own path, and they have their own things that are happening in their lives, their own happiness, their own sadness, their own joys, their own pain. What's happening now that's unlike anything in 
recent history in my life, for sure, is that the world is experiencing all of this at the same time. And what we're Mm -hmm. seeing, I think, is the impact of the fear and the unknown. And that to your point, I don't know that many people are prepped to be able to handle this. And I think what we're seeing is that the leaders that are rising to the occasion, my hypothesis would be that they were leaders who understood and practiced and lived and walked in the middle before. And now you're seeing that empathy in action and you're seeing their ability to rise to the occasion because they've done the work before. Mm -hmm. For those folks who had not been able to do the work before and who had only lived in the polarized left or right, you're seeing that it's even more challenging. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about and we'll have an episode on it later on is the importance of, um, if you've never done so in your life, putting yourself in the minority to work with the majority to solve a problem. And the whole point of you doing that should be so that way, when you run across challenging situations like this, and obviously this situation is very unique and we've never had it before, but this is not, the first time that we've had a crisis and unfortunately it probably won't be the last time leaders especially those that have to make decisions for everybody to have some sort of practice putting themselves in the minority to work with the majority to solve a problem uh, I think those things are critical and you can sort of see those that have done that and those that have not at this time and to your point about the household you're right everybody has been thrust into some sort of leadership role. Um, You talked about schooling. Um, Everybody who has kids that are, you know, K through 12 turned into homeschool teachers, right? And that whole dynamic, I mean, just taking aside right now, I I feel (laughs) that I'm being serious with this, uh, but I feel like people are going to have to reevaluate teaching at the end of this because, again, like most situations, until you're actually put in a situation, it's hard for people to demonstrate a whole lot of empathy. I guarantee you everybody across the country uh, has a whole lot more, wants to show a lot more empathy towards teachers going forward. Right. When you talk about spending eight to 10 hours a day with, you know, we have little children um, do that for eight to 10 hours a day with 20 to 25 of those little bitty people. Right. And all of a sudden you start thinking a little bit differently um, when the teacher asks for some volunteers for the class or sharpened pencils uh, that are brand name. I will buy yeah. in bulk. Yeah. What are you helping with the weekly folder or just whatever it is, um, you know, I'm, this is one thing coming out of this uh, that I hope people don't forget about. There should be no more need for um, teachers to have to strike and to march on capitals for benefits and pay and that sort of thing. Like, oh, that stuff should be put to bed. Right. It's done. It's fixed. It's done. No, I'm kidding. Hopefully, yeah. Trends, you talked about the fact that we have little kids. I caught myself in the early days of this is going and starting to have a little bit of a pity party for myself and doing this comparison, which is the thief of joy, as we know, but this comparison of how much harder 
I thought I had it for a hot second. It was, oh, you know, I have two. They're under the age of eight. They both require different things. And I started going into this this mental pattern in my own head of how hard this was and how put yeah. out I am and what a struggle this is. And then to your point about being in the same storm with different ships, it's like I had to check again, as we all do. It's like when I I, I, I at least now have the ability to know that when I start playing this loop in my head of that I'm victimized somehow or that my life is hard, I now have a tool set that I can use that as a check engine light to say, okay, something's going on here. Like you need to take a breath and you need to take a pause and you need to take a real hard look at whether or not life is really hard. It may be hard for me right now and harder than it was yesterday, but empathy requires that I put that aside and not be upset at my friend who has kids in eighth and 12th grade and not be there for her because I'm thinking that, I, that my life is so much more difficult because my kids are young. Because it puts you on an island and it also keeps you from connection. And we need that connection now more than ever. And we also need that empathy now more than ever because me being in my little bubble of, oh, woe is me, this is so difficult keeps me from being able to connect with people who are having struggles way above and beyond my own. Mm -hmm. And that for me to spend, but I think that the, the middle ground here is acknowledge the discomfort, acknowledge the sadness, acknowledge the grief, because we're all feeling a lot of the same emotions. But I need to not let myself drown in my own because I need to be on the, looking out on the horizon for people that also need help in different ways. Because I don't want to forget for a second that I have food on the table to feed my kids. And I don't want to forget for a second that we are in this place of where there is a lot of joy in all of this, too. There's joy in getting to spend time with my kids. There are gifts in this that could also get lost in the way. But I've also noticed, as I'm sure you have, is that the, the stuff that was wrong in our country before is only been exacerbated by this. No, you're, I, you know, I was about to say preach because you, you, that is, that is correct. And that, that's been the thing that I, you know, I'll just say I've, I've had a hard time staying cool, if you will, um, about like all of a sudden we understand that people are in poverty. All of a sudden we understand there are kids who don't have internet connection the way others do, right? And don't don't have access to, to a lot of things. All of a sudden now we're concerned about those who have health care so that the way they can get tested and, you know, waiving costs for that and so forth. Like all of a sudden, so it took COVID-19 to come along and disrupt others Right. For us to recognize um, so many who go through challenges every day. And that's I mean, if we if we go all the way back to the beginning of why you and I want to start talking about tracksuits and pajamas is because. I, I was always a, appalled at that. People have to go through something in order to understand like it has to right. hit their back door. Like a, yeah, it ha it has to hit their back. If it doesn't hit you, then you're just sort of oblivious to it, right? And the moment you get an ounce of discomfort, 
right? All hell breaks loose. And you're like, oh, no, this is not cool at all. And I'm like, well, it's people who have to go to the food bank every week, not just during COVID-19, but they got to do it when everything is rosy and sunny outside, right? So, you know, that, that's been, I'll be very honest, that's been hard for me to stay in the middle on because what you're saying is, is, is right. Everybody has experienced some form of discomfort, right? So for somebody, it may be, you know, we keep using the, the, the storm with the, the yacht and the paddle board example, right? Some people's discomfort is, oh, I got to stay on my yacht. This really sucks, right? Man, I wish we could just go to the beach and hang out. For other people, their discomfort is now I'm I'm on this paddle boat and we're like barely surviving, right? We were already on a paddle boat, but now I got holes in it. Right? That's that that's some other people's that's what other people are dealing with. And you know, so I I'll admit I've had a hard time staying in the middle on that because both things are true. It's hard for me to stay in the middle because what empathy requires of us is that we understand everyone's perspective. So, yes, it, the privilege requires that I understand the perspective of the person who's in a paddle boat with the holes on it. Mm-hmm. Empathy also requires that we could all come together and say, hey, person on the yacht, I get that based on your life experiences that this is tough for you, too. It's not the same level of tough. This is the level of tough is completely non-equitable. I don't feel sorry for the people on the yacht. But I need to figure out a way to empathize that it is still hard for them. Because I do know that popping back off and saying, oh, you're not suffering. This doesn't suck. Like, shut up. Go away. Like, where cancel culture comes in to the people on the yacht. I'm also trying not to do that personally because it is their reality. It sucks that we live in a country that our realities are so different and that we have people that are drowning. And to your point about shining a light on the fact that this is happening and it 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 ticks me off too that it took something like this to really all of a sudden everyone's noticing this more and more right but i'm getting that empathy is the idea that we could all be suffering that there is a level of suffering we need to be aware of that level of suffering and check our privilege when we're talking about our discomfort versus Mm -hmm. what suffering is there is a difference between discomfort and suffering but also acknowledging that the discomfort is real to people from their vantage point too so how do we continue to open up their eyes to what real suffering looks like without shaming them for expressing their own discomfort? Because I think there's an opportunity here for a light to be shown everywhere. But to do so, we need to be able to have those tough conversations. Two things. The first one is the, the reason why I think this this situation puts so much strain on being able to empathize with people because you you said it earlier if you're going to if you're going to show true empathy then you got to put yourself in someone else's shoes understand their situations beliefs concerns motivations and generate an action that solves a problem right okay so if if that's what we're doing if that's empathy man that is being stressed right now the empathy the understanding piece is is sort of stressed because you have so many people who are just trying to get something to eat every day 
right? Who, who were, by the way, were trying to do that before this even happened, right? And so now they're at a whole different level. So all your energy from an empathy standpoint that you want to use naturally, you know, at least I think for, for us especially, wants to go there. It has to go there. It's survival versus empathy is a nice fluffy thing that feels like something I might be able to try tomorrow versus what am I trying to survive today? Right. If, If you're if you're the yacht in this scenario, it's real tough for me to exercise any amount of empathy muscle at all trying to help you generate an action to solve whatever problem you have going on. Right. That's 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 a little it's a little hard to do right now. That's why the example I mentioned earlier about politicians and leadership, you know, they're sort of in that situation. Right. Because they and and you can see them struggling with it. Right. It's the reason why you have conversations about reopening. But then they got to they got to straddle the fence a little bit on that and and try to figure that out because um, they just can't go. Well, they can. That's a whole different episode. Uh, but they're they're trying to empathize with the most people that they can. Right. And, and, and that's going to cause them to try and cast as wide a net as possible, um, regardless of the disparity. Um, well, and, and the problem and, is, is that sometimes I think many of them aren't trying to empathize with the most people that they can. They're trying to pander to the most people that they can so that yes. they cannot lose a vote. And that's different than empathy. And I think going back to that discussion of what does it look like to step up and be a true leader? It's not about pandering to the lowest or greatest common denominator. It's what does empathy look like? How do you hold someone's heart and spirit who just lost a loved one to COVID and didn't get to say goodbye don't get to have a funeral, um, but then also talk to the person who is scared of losing their home and needs to go back to work and needs to find a way to make money. And I, yep. I think we see the people that are – empathy allows us to hold a space for both of those things and to hold a space for all things to be true. But that's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, that, think about what you just – that's a wide range. Someone who has lost a loved one. To COVID, all the way to the person who hasn't lost a loved one, right? They they're worried about losing their job, right? For the most part, they they have everything that they need, but they're worried about losing their job and they want to get back to work. That's a that's a heavy distance away from that person who has lost their loved one, and then you got people all in the middle of that. What's unique to me about this episode is how authentic and raw it is because Trinity and I are in this too. This isn't a scenario where we've thought about something. We've looked back in our life to see how it served us. We have a plan. We have an outline. You know, we're sitting in our closets in our tracksuits and pajamas, and we're experiencing this alongside the rest of the world. But I also think that this is where empathy, the rubber meets the road for the middle and where empathy needs to come to life We're all in a state of fear. We're all in a state of discomfort. We all are fearful on one level. That's the, to me, that's the middle here. The person who is fearful of the economy not coming back and the person who's fearful of the loss of life, the middle of that is that we're afraid because what once was is no longer. 
And everyone is afraid of survival in some shape or form. So what we're seeing here is different than, oh, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I believe in these core tenets or I don't. Those were almost window dressings to this baseline fear that we're all experiencing right now. And that is the basic human fear of survival and what does it look like? And that to me is if we can if we can foster that and feed that and understand that all the sides, even with the missteps, even with I mean, the cluster effery that is happening on a national scale, everyone truly is afraid. And so then the question is, what do you do then? We can't change the fear. We can't change the scenario. Even if everything opened tomorrow, that doesn't change what life looks like. Even if we stayed sequestered for the next six months, that doesn't change these fears. And it requires now more than ever that we find a way to come together and sit in the fear and work through from a place, I think, of almost fear. So instead of fear meeting anger, and it's like, let's just take immediate action. That's what we all want to do, I think, when we get afraid. When we get afraid, it's that fight or flight mentality, and we want to take an immediate action so we don't have to feel the fear anymore. What would it feel like to sit in the fear, to feel it, to understand what message it's trying to tell us? And then is there a balance in that fear to be able to come to? What's the balance in the change that we're having right now? Not forgetting that there are people in need, not forgetting the privilege that we're coming from. You said two words there, fear and discomfort. And I think some people, this is a discomfort. I think for others, it is a fear. Right? Because I, I think for some people, they're in a discomfort because I want to get back to doing the things that I was doing. That's a lot different than like, I don't know how we're going to make it. All right, I don't know how we're going to survive. And I think that is part of the big challenge that is going on right now. I think some, some people are at fear, but I think we got a bunch of people that are just really at discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so I think the decision making that's going on is bouncing between fear and discomfort. Right. And it requires leadership and people in place to sort of navigate right down the middle of that. I think about it in, in my own household, right? We bounce between fear and discomfort. I get to the fear side, obviously thinking about, you know, my, my grandparents and my, um, you know, my, my family members that, that are older and making sure that they're okay. Or like my son asked me the other day, we, you know, we used to always go to the store together. Um, to pick up things and he wanted to go. And I was like, immediately I was like, nah, buddy, I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking you in there. Right. I'll be the only one that leaves the house. It's a fair side of me kicking in. Then there's discomfort of, Oh man, we've been, we've been cooking a lot. That's great. But it'd be, it'd be cool if we could go out and, and get something to eat. Right. That's on the discomfort side. There are some folks who are just, they don't have the luxury of, of the discomfort when you push to the fear side of things that do you don't, you know, that, that, that's not a choice, right? You know, that's like, I'm, I'm worried. You know, I got $500 left. I got rent due next month. That's a thousand. And I got a mouth to feed in the house. Right. And I'm, I'm almost out of that $1,200 stimulus check that, I, that, 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 that came in from, from the government. So I think there's, there's something there between fear and discomfort and 
I think as as a country, we're sort of bouncing back and forth. I do think people that historically have lived in discomfort mistake it for fear. And so there is there is that truth, which I 100% agree with. True, true. There's also the perspective of if you've never known, this goes back to empathy again, if you've never known that real fear, you might think your discomfort is the same thing as someone else's baseline survival fear. Yep. And it's not. But what light can we put on that so that the folks who are merely feeling discomfort understand that that's what they're feeling? Because when you're fighting fear for fear, nobody is going to win. And no one, I think no action gets taken because the person who is trying to react to someone else's fear over to their left is thinking that they're in deep fear themselves and they're going to attend to their own fear first. Something that is uncomfortable for people or something that is change often manifests itself for certain people as fear, right? So you have, you have the the browning of America, if you will, right? Now, for some people, that may be a little bit uncomfortable, right? And so then that uncomfortable piece, and it may be uncomfortable because they, they it's some new faces in their cultural circles that they're not used to or exposed to new people or, you know, there's there's a mix of people that they hadn't seen before in their grocery store or in their schools or whatever it may be. Right. And then all of a sudden it shows up as fear and we know what that starts to turn into and look like. Um, Our bodies are liars. I mean, in a way when it comes to fear. And that's, what's really interesting to, to me about this from a physiological standpoint, because I agree there is a big difference between a true fear of survival and a, and an, and an uncomfortable feeling. The problem is, is our experiences and our bodies and our fight or flight makeup lies and tells us that it's the same. And I don't, I can't think of a single time in my experience where someone has told me, hey, don't be afraid that it's ever worked, right? Because in that moment, it's already manifest itself into a real thing, even if it's only in my mind, even if it's only in my bubble. But I think that's what we're talking about here is getting outside of your own bubble to take a look and say, okay, when I feel that and I need to evaluate for myself. Someone can't do it for me, but I need to evaluate for myself. Am I uncomfortable? Is this a real fear? Am I really at, am I really in danger of not surviving? Or am, is everything that I knew to be true once before being upended? And if that's the case, that requires further evaluation. It doesn't mean that my life is over. It doesn't mean that my, that America's crumbling it just means things are shifting and things are changing and I'm uncomfortable about that. But I can do the work to look in the mirror and to say that my my level of comfort is not worth someone else's suffering. And that's, I think, what we're missing a lot of times. The folks who are uncomfortable say, I'm uncomfortable, so this has to cease and desist because I don't like the way that this feels. Instead of, I'm uncomfortable, let me look outward and see what it looks like in the world and then I'm willing to deal with my discomfort so that other people can have a better existence, too. That's exactly how racism and prejudice sort of manifests itself. Right. I mean, it, it's depending on who you talk to is justified or unjustified under under that. 
sense of, you know, because you, you mentioned, you know, if, if my way of life or if what I'm used to is is challenged in a way that it might go away or might change, then I'm going to fight for that because I'm fearful of that. You definitely see that at play here, which kind of makes me feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't be surprised by some of the things that I'm seeing because that's how racism and prejudice manifests itself in people in our country. And kind of seeing the same thing with the, with the difference between fear and discomfort. Uh, because when you talk about race, racism and prejudice, there's only one side of that that should be fear. True. Right. I mean, True. I, I mean, there's only, only one side of that is, um, you know, you, you've heard stories about how, you know, on both sides of that table, there's fear because it, but it, the fear usually revolves around loss of life. And that's that's right? real. That's that is real fear, right? And and so that is fight or flight, real survival fear. Yeah. Versus, well, wait a minute. Now I got to start sharing this. Well, if I got to start sharing this, well, then I may have to share that. If I have to do more of this, then I have to may do more of that. But everybody's still going to be here, right? Now, that can be spun all the way up to where we're not going to exist anymore. And maybe that gets over into a fear space, right? But that's a whole, it's a whole nother episode of things. But I, I, I do feel like there's, there's something there in the discomfort into things, pushing all the way over to fear. Um, Cause you, you just hear it, right? You, you can, you can hear it. And with the reopening stuff, I've definitely been able to hear it even more. So part of the way that the ego lies, too, is to say that my discomfort is big and is fear. And I think that's what we're trained to as a society. I think people are trained to think their own and there are other cases, other cases notwithstanding. But in general, a lot of times we're trained to think that our discomfort is fear because it's what affects us most deeply. But mm-hmm. what someone else is experiencing is only discomfort. So it's easier to put them on a shelf and just to say, I'm not going to deal with that. Like you're, you're just dealing with, you're just uncomfortable. I mean, I do that in my own household all the time. I think, oh, well, they're just uncomfortable, but my stuff is real. And the the yeah. reality is empathy again requires that I understand that their fear is real and that what I may be experiencing may not be true fear, even though it feels that way to me. So looking out of myself and into your examples about race, our examples about our country, it's this desire to look outward and say, oh, well, that's not real because I can't take it in and I don't want your discomfort to affect me. Instead of putting myself in someone else's shoes and realizing what that fear really feels like. There's so much to digest right now. I think that um, one of the things that we, we've both talked about and that we've seen is how um, when you talk about empathy, this has been a big test. And one of those things is like the whole wearing the mask, right? Like you, you know, I think initially it came out, you know, you, you know, if somebody's wearing a mask, I think the perception was that they were sick or that they might be sick, right? If something was, you know, they knew they might be going into something. And then now obviously as we become more educated, we learn, hey, if I'm just going for a run, and I'm feeling like all, you know, 
super workout person fit and I'm good, at least I think I'm good, uh, I should be wearing a mask as well, right? Because I don't know. I could maybe pass that along to someone else, right? That's, that's, a, that's a great way to sort of be in the middle um, and to showcase empathy. And it doesn't really require a whole lot of effort. If, if, if you really think about it, just got to remember to grab me a mask and let me, let me put this on as well. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that as we go through this, more and more people will, will think about that. You know, like, like we even talked about the protesters at the Capitol. Um, and we were saying how, you know, you know, you have some people who are protesting to get back to work, but then you have some people who are, who are protesting to sort of get services and things and, luxuries um and just in their eyes maybe necessities back that they don't have because places are closed but we also got to think about when now people have to come to work right i I heard during the reopening i was watching the news where in one of the states they were talking about reopening and this business owner asked all of their employees hey how many of you want to come back to work the governor said we can go back to work this weekend and half of them said yes, they want to come back. The other half said no, right? Because half, I mean, as a great example, half of his staff was like, yeah, I'm ready to get back to work, maybe make some more money, so forth and so on. But the other half were concerned, right? So if you were one of those people who were protesting, wanting that business to go back to work, you know, are we thinking that not all of them may be comfortable with with coming back? So I think there's well, a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's what I hope is I hope that there's more middle ground that can that is able to emerge. I hope what we see is not everybody go back to work so that that 50% is forced into a situation that they don't feel comfortable with or their family can't sustain. And there are so many examples. We've talked a lot about the confusion. You know, this is not going to be an episode that has a nice pretty bow tied on the end of it because there's there's not closure yet. We're in the middle of it, just like you guys are. We're going to have to practice in little ways through this. Every single day, we wake up, and there's a new challenge. When this podcast airs, it's going to be different than what we recorded today. We know that. It's the whole toilet paper thing. It's the mask thing. It's going in and not thinking just about yourself. If you can put the filter on where you're not thinking just about yourself, or you're not just thinking about your family, because the truth is, This is illuminated that we don't know. I wish I knew if I were sick. I don't know that. The future is unknown for all of us. So we need to think about ourselves as a collective. And it's just because you can buy 42 rolls of toilet paper, your family may not need 42 rolls of toilet paper. So don't buy into the hype of the scarcity and the lack and that it's you against the world and it's you against everybody else. The truth is we all need to take precautions for ourselves and we all need to take precautions for others. And empathy is the Venn diagram where those two things overlap. And that's where I think we should be living now and always, but especially now. This was us just talking to you about where we're at right now. We'll be back with more or we may be back with another episode like this, depending on how things are going. Um, Just take it one day at a time. Stay safe, everybody. And take care of each other. That's right. Be nice.